Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot love it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonner, which is available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hey! And the three of us write for thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. If you are wondering why I sound a little bit like a creeper today, and as if I'm about to sit down with Terry Gross <laughs> on fresh air or something, it's because there is a sleeping baby in the room uh, over from me. So hopefully this is not too bizarre of an experience for you. She's got to learn how to, like, you know, sleep through noise. I mean... She's actually a really good sleeper, except for like the past couple of days, and I think she's growing because she's been just chugging milk, and then waking up and <laughs> chugging more milk. So, Aww. something's going on. But um, yeah, I feel a little bit like I'm recording an ASMR podcast for you. <laughs> it is kind of like that, actually. I hope you guys are getting the tingles. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have ASMR, but I'm obsessed okay. with ASMR videos. That immediately made me think of Project Voice Bend. Oh, God. The tinglies in the pee hole. Yeah, I wasn't going to say it. If everyone wants an excellent, excellent parody of Legend of Korra, I think we've mentioned it before on the show, but uh, ch- check out Project Voice Bend. They have a Vimeo and a Tumblr that you can find all their episodes on. It's hilarious. Also, today I should note that Gretchen, Julia, and I are back to our separate quarters, so we are not yeah. recording in the same room, so this should be a little bit more structured than our live show that we had last time. <laughs> oh my god. I still have wine, though. Uh, oh no. All I have is, is water in my Star Wars bottle. Oh man. That's all you got out I- of this? I don't. Kylie refuses to be impressed by my Star Wars water bottle. <laughs> it's just a tumbler. It's just a tumbler with the Star Wars like characters on it, and she showed it to me about five times, and I've I've had a reaction <laughs> of mild interest. And apparently, I need to be like extolling the virtues of this beautiful plastic cup with the Star Wars characters. Well, it's, on it's, it. it's a liter, which is nice. I like liter water bottles, yeah, and that it's is got nice. the original Star Wars poster where like oh. Luke is shooting you in the face. It's awesome. Luke shot right. first. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, guys. Speaking of Star Wars, that's a great. That's a great lead-in. Oh, that is perfect. fandom news. You want you want to tell us the Star Wars news? So, uh, Ryan Johnson announced today. Uh, he's the guy behind the sequel trilogy, or at least he's part of the sequel trilogy right now. Um, and he's going to be doing his own spinoff trilogy. But he announced today or yesterday uh, that it will not be Knights of the Old Pu- Republic. Much Why do people think it would be? I don't know, because fans really want Knights of the Old Republic to be canon. At least inspired. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Griffin yelling about this when we yeah, were recording? Yeah, Griffin seems to like, he may, Griffin seems to be one of these people. Something about Kylo Ren's outfit, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I know nothing word. about Knights of the Old Republic, so... I know yeah. it's a really good story, and people probably just want to see that adapted, which makes sense, but it doesn't shock me that this is going to be a bit different. Um, right. I think Kylo Ren's outfit, the argument was that he made it canon anyway. So, something. Yeah, yeah so that's what I've heard. Is happy. But it's probably, Rian was just saying this because there's all those theories that are like, it's going to be exactly like the Old Republic. And it's like, oh, no, I, I doubted that. It's going to be its own story. Are there Star Wars news? Is there other Star Wars news? There's maybe? always maybe. Star Wars news. Well, there's, um... There's Disney news. Yeah, that's, Disney that's news Star, Star Wars, Wars news. news. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah. So what, is, what is the Star Wars news, Gretchen? Um, well, other than that The Last Jedi comes out next week, uh, there's Disney news, which is that um, announcements for Disney purchasing Fox's film and TV divisions could be coming as soon as this week, which when we recorded this was last week, but it might be, <laughs> you know, the week of release. Whatever, time warp. Um, 
So apparently, like, they were in talks er like a month ago, and then that had kind of died down, and people thought that Fox was gonna maybe see other people. Um, but apparently, well, sometimes you should see other people, right? Because Di- I mean, Disney's kind of taking over the world. They are a bit. Point. And you know what this also means? Because they're trying to launch their own um, streaming service, too. So this would give a lot I... more clout behind that. Right. Because then they would own um, Fantastic Four, X-Men, the original trilogy Star Wars films, The Simpsons, oh, like Avatar. Is, so they're, they're owning a stake in Marvel, too. I wonder how, like, if they're going to try to make any arrangements with them for any right. of that. Right. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's some of the speculation right now is that if they own, like, Fantastic Four and Mm X-Men, they could maybe do TV shows or, you know. But would they own Deadpool? No. I don't know who owns Deadpool. I don't think Fox owns Deadpool. I thought that was Marvel. I'm Mm -hmm. just talking on my ass right now, but I thought that was Marvel. (laughs) Someone will certainly correct us in the comments if we're wrong about that. Please do, because I want to know who owns Deadpool. I know Um, nothing about that. In sort of related news, nope, I can't get there. I'm sorry, I can't get there. Uh, Quentin Tarantino is in talks to direct a Star Trek movie? To write a Star Trek movie or direct one? Right, I'm sorry, right. Right. I'm not sure if that is better or worse or the same or if this is bad to begin. I don't, I can't see it. I can't either. I don't want it. I don't, I don't, I can't see what it looks like and I don't even want it. I'm not like I the just, biggest Tarantino fan, um, but no, this I'm just seems not. like a very odd match. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, like he has a really cool idea for okay. a Star Trek movie, and is now talking to J.J. Abrams about maybe putting together a team to write it. Like really, anything? He's just like having coffee with J.J. Abrams and saying shit, and then people maybe are reporting it. <laughs> yes, maybe the reporting. What's the ship name between J.J. Abrams and Quentin Tarantino? Um, Ter Abrams, Abramtino, Abramtino. That's my ship. Oh. <laughs> well, speaking of ships, I think Gretchen might want to take the next. Oh my gosh, she's really excited. She's oh my like gosh, all caps excited. Mm. Rosa Diaz is canonically bisexual. And Brooklyn Nine. On Brooklyn Hi. Nine-Nine. Oh my gosh. Like, and she, okay, she said the word bi. Like, she called herself bi. Like, that's a big deal. Is she letting deal. her bi flag fly? Like, Daryl Whitefeather. Yes. Yeah. Probably like, not, because Rosa Diaz isn't really that kind of a person. Yeah, isn't she very, like, deadpanny? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've not Which watched is like, a single moment of the show. All I know is gift sets from Tumblr. Yeah. It's so good. I'm, yeah, like, no, way behind, but I follow what's going on in the current season. And, like, they handled it so well. She was just very much, like... So Rosa okay. is a character who doesn't, like, reveal a lot about herself to her co-workers. So it worked really well that she could just tell Boyle, one of the other characters, like, I'm bi. I just... I didn't tell you because I didn't think it was relevant. Um, so it wasn't even, like... It's not really, like, a, a realization moment or, like, she just found out she's bi or it's... She, she's always been bi. She just never told people. It was just like, oh, right, yeah, I'm dating a woman. I'm bi. That's sort of how the good wife handled Kalinda's character, sort of, but I don't believe they use the word bisexual because no one ever uses the word bisexual. I know. That- well, apparently Brooklyn 99 does. Yep. Well, the actor um, the actor who plays Rosa Diaz, um, Stephanie Beatrice, is bisexual in real life. Oh, that's um, cool. And actually, she has said that she pushed specifically to use the word bisexual on TV precisely good, because good. she wanted people to it be able to take hear an it. Intellectual. What? It doesn't take an intellectual. She's just quoting getting by <laughs> from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an amazing song and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend oh, does also have explicitly bisexual representation too, but this is yes. fantastic especially because Rosa is also uh Latina so it's just, you know. Yep even cooler with representation just as much yep. as we can get and that's really really cool that the actor was pushing for this too yeah mm. she's been pushing for this for i think a couple of years that she wanted rosa to be canonically bi um and then pushed for actually that being the term that she used and this aired you t- I, correct me if i'm wrong about this this aired on the anniversary of the bi flags establishment yep yep <laughs> 
I didn't even know there so, was like a bi flag day. I think I'm failing with my own bisexuality. <laughs> I mean, granted, I didn't know either. Um, <laughs> it was just something that, you know, people were saying was like, oh, right. Like one year, like however many years ago today was the day that like the bi flag was revealed. Um, Who and- revealed it? Was there a committee? It was, How does this work? I should look this up on Wikipedia. You know what? The bi flag would make for a perfect trolling gender reveal cake, actually. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. 100% agree. Well, um, anything? I mean, the only other thing is, like, site news. We got a little bit of site news. Sure. Carol Awards. The Carol Awards. Awesome. All right, so... Uh, if anyone doesn't know, somehow how, we're, yeah. How can you not know about the Carol Awards? Do you live under a rock? Well, the, <laughs> the fundamentals is rather known for our um, <clears throat> critical stance on Game of Thrones, <laughs> and to yeah. celebrate the finest in dramatic satisfaction that it offers us, we host an award show that we consider uh, a bit more accurate than the Emmys. And it's basically just celebrating the Game of Thrones past season. And there's awards like finest, uh, most stylish plot armor, finest fan service award, uh, the creatively it made sense because we wanted it to happen award. So the Carol Awards season seven just came out. You can find it on our site. It was a lot of fun. Um, Julia, Caroline and I recorded a podcast where we do the like category introductions and commentary and all that stuff on one track. So we don't crash the site again. And then (laughs) the, that that never happened. What are you talking about? And then the post (laughs) itself is actually like interactive. You can click and see the winner. And I didn't spend all weekend in Photoshop. So it's It's very nice Photoshop. Thank you. And it's like, when I look at the finished product, it looks like, haha, someone did that in Photoshop in 10 minutes. And it's like, yes, just pretend that's what happened. So it's fine. I love the Golden Carols. I think they're delightful. <laughs> One day, maybe you can take home a coveted Golden Carol, Gretchen. Oh my gosh. No, that if would we ever, ma- If we ever made, like, facsimiles of Golden Carols, like, I would want one. We actually have, I think it's a button or is it a mug? It's called a Christmas Carol and it's got oh, like- Oh, it's a mug. Yeah, it's yep. got that statue of her on it. It's This is in our store. We got a bunch of new merch, speaking of Photoshop for 10 minutes, but we've got a bunch of new merch. It took us more time yep. than 10 minutes. I'm being sarcastic. And a Christmas <laughs> Lots of Carol- Steven Universe. Yeah, a Christmas Carol buttons. is one of the holiday ones that we have. And it's just the Carol statue. <laughs> yep. Kylie also has a um, put up a design for Happy Holidays. Oh yes, it's, with um, Batwoman. It's Batwoman inspired, so it's just a bunch of bats flying out of a loaf of challah bread. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I I asked Griffin what I could do for this, and he suggested that as a joke, and then I did it. So yeah, <laughs> works well. Pretty great. And then yeah, you guys have the best relationship. We do. And then Gretchen. Um, <laughs> let's not unpack that right now. <laughs> and then Gretchen created a bunch of Steven Universe uh buttons yes. for us, which are great. There's an angry Dorito button. And uh yep. is there is there a lesbian farmer one or was it um I can't like, remember if there's girlfriend? a les- uh there's a lesbian farmer's sticker okay. that has um lapis and peridots gems and a little pumpkin on it. Yeah, oh and there's also a new Game of Thrones shirt, which is plausible in possibilities because yep. we all want those we instead of impossible those. plausibilities obviously right um, yeah. yeah duh anyway we're getting pretty long on the news segment uh, and oh, it's yeah. already like past Joya's bedtime so we are going to transition oh hey what are we talking about why this plausible episode plausible impossibilities <laughs> <laughs> right one plausible impossibility how do you write a romance that will be our first segment then we'll hopefully have time for GOT versus the prequels and then segment the final segment closing everything out is going to be like the typing your characters fandom you know harry potter houses myers briggs character alignments all that kind of stuff so that's our episode and let's get on to it what gift can you just tell me what the fuck is happening down here because i'm pretty sure this thing is alive so last time on the Fundamentals, we ripped into Game of Thrones and the prequel trilogy for love, being crappy at writing romance. The air on the Fundamentals. <laughs> we did. We did. We did. So, yeah. Yeah. So what is it? What does it mean to write a compelling romance other than not to do what those shows did? I think <laughs> it's to slice pairs seductively, like I said. 
It's to tell your wannabe girlfriend how much you don't like sand and that she's so soft. And how much you love fascism. Well, and yes. this also, like, just to give a little context, the reason that we actually included this isn't just because we were ripping on romance last episode, but that's a good reason to, but also because on the newest episode of Supergirl, and I'm sorry if anyone cares about Supergirl spoilers, but you're going to hear them, uh, Lena and James hooked up, which, like, what? came yep. out of nowhere. James doesn't like her or trust her and like canonically hasn't for a season and then they basically had two interactions this season and then all of a sudden all these characters were around them like oh you want to take him under the mistletoe don't you and it's like um like there was literally less interaction between them than boat sex there was less like, interaction. not even joking. I said this jokingly on Tumblr, but I'm serious. There was more canonical basis for Lena to have a romantic relationship with the orchid in her office. Like, yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. It felt very much like it was. Oh, here is a an unpaired male and female on this show. Let's let's make them date because you know heteronormativity. Men and women who interact for longer yeah. than two seconds must and want to date each other. So Gretchen and I were just talking about like how fundamentally lazy of a method that was to write a romance because it was literally just putting them together and have characters around them saying, you think they're attractive. I mean, it's literally generous. Like, there's no difference other than other than that. John and Danny had more people telling them they liked that each other for a longer period of time Plus than did Lena and James. to her boobies, yeah. Yes. Right. I was about to mention the boobies, actually. <laughs> That's the most important part, because she's wearing these giant padded dresses. It's like, what? Well, so how do you how do you write a good romance, then? You haven't answered my question. Well, I don't know what you're okay, talking about. If I could be perfectly honest, my favorite way to mm-hmm. write a ma- romance is don't write a romance. Just write a story yeah, and have characters, yep. like interact together and if it makes sense and there's chemistry then you pair them up right that's right like like my my, the notes that i wrote are right round fleshed out and flawed characters give them multiple character interactions on screen show (laughs) how they can challenge and better each other maybe have them fall in love (laughs) and if as you're writing these characters you're like i'm getting more of a friend vibe make them friends Right? Don't force it. Or if you really needed this to happen, but it's just like not working, just make it about hot people wanting to fuck. Right. Right. Like that's, that's what gets, I think all of us at some level is that we've each had shows where we're like, okay, if these two like attractive, like attractive people who find each other physically attractive want to have sex, like, Mm -hmm. Let them do that. Like, let them bang if they want. Just, like, like, don't try and then tell us that they're in love when literally, like, the only basis is they they think each other is hot. Yeah, boat sex would have been totally fine if they were just bored on a boat. Like, I don't care. But the issue was that it was, like, over top of this, you know, swelling music and the info dump about how she's actually his aunt. But that's, you know, whatever. (laughs) It was done in this way that was very tender. And it's like, that's, that's not there yep yep i mean or again like it's like the prequel trilogy like if anakin and padme if they're so like they're they're in a war going on there's a lot of stress if they just need to like bang one out because they they have a lot of you know stress or whatever and they just want to have some fun like cool that's great like do it that's fine but you don't need to tell us that they're in love now well, I think what I get a little stuck on is because, like, obviously, like, Korosami is my ideal of how you write it and that they didn't write it. They just were like, oh, this makes sense. We're going to do it. Um, but let's say you are writing Attack of the Clones and you need two characters to fall in love in a two hour time frame. For whatever reason for the story, you think love is important, like romantic right. love explicitly. How- I think the problem is that... If you want to do that within that kind of time frame, that's like really the only thing you can focus on. Because mm-hmm. unless you're a much better writer than me or most people are, like that's just can, not enough time. Can you think of a successful romance in a movie? Like Han and Leia? Well, like the great romantic movies. I mean, like with Han and Leia, like, I think um, like it's obvious that they have like a history Right? Uh-huh. right and that helped a lot but i don't know like everybody likes bridges in Medicine county i've never been able to stand that movie i've never but seen i it. guess that's successful 
<laughs> I like Pride and Prejudice if it can be a six hour long form. Yeah. <laughs> and even that, it's like, yeah, it's about like romance. It's about how these two characters end up together in the end. But like, it's also not. <laughs> you know? Right. The issue right. It's is. about them being like growing as characters and like kind of growing like into the place where they make each other better. Because yeah, I mean, the real issue is that I don't really find love at first sight a compelling trope in the slightest. I don't either. There needs I to tell be- that to my parents, though. Well, I, I, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying, how would okay? How would you write the movie of your parents, Julia? Would it be cinematic? It would probably be a comedic a comedy. Okay, <laughs> so like a light rom com. Yeah, I like rom coms sometimes. Like Heartbreakers was fun. Right. See, well, I think I'm, I'm I'm going back to what you were saying about Attack of the Clones. Um, yeah. And what I think I would do is use Attack of the Clones to build a groundwork, but not have them be in love by the end of the movie. Because there's See, nothing. The problem with the there's with the trilogies is that Phantom Menace exists. If Phantom Menace didn't exist, there would actually be time for this shit. <laughs> right. Right. But like, there was nothing. By the time he wrote the Phantom Menace, like they would have known that they had two more movies. So there was nothing that dictated that they had to be in love by the end of Attack of the Clones. That's nothing right. that, well, that he that just would decided. Dictate it is that um, the twins had to be born at the end of the third movie. Well, yeah, but you can... Or at least she had to be pregnant. But what I'm saying is, like, between... There's a lot of time passes between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So you could then, use... Then they would fall in love off screen. Well, yeah, but, like, yeah. so did Han and Leia. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say, it's like Yeah, I Leia. suppose that's right. It's like you use that was, you, that was good. I don't know. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like you use you use Attack of the Clones to like yeah. show where it could go, and then when Revenge of the Sith starts, they're already in a relationship. Right, like Han and Leia works because by the end of A New Hope, you could totally see them hate fucking in the broom closets. Like that's right. not mm-hmm. much of a stretch. And by Empire Strikes Back, it's pretty obvious that's what they were doing the, during the three year gap. Right, um, but you know, but I you're totally was- right, Julia. If you get rid of like, if you if Attack of the Clones was like the first movie, then you could have had another movie in between and then ended. Re- have Revenge we bled into the next topic? <laughs> oh my god! I'm still trying to talk about romance. That does work. Really <laughs> Let's go back perfectly. to romance. But I will say, like, even situated outside of a trilogy, Gretchen, I think you were hitting on something good, which is you said don't end the movie with that. And like, even for a standalone film, I don't know why there's all this pressure that the relationship has to exist immediately at the end, right? Like, you can be on a trajectory. Getting on that trajectory is an exciting experience. Like, it doesn't yeah. have oh, to be. Oh, you're going to love me talk, getting back to this topic. But oh, no. one movie I've heard uh, being stated as a good example of that is Frozen. Oh, Frozen. Where, like, Anna and uh, what's his face? Uh, Hans. Hans. <laughs> yeah, Eichlopper. No, no, no. She like, means Kristoff. Yeah, oh, Christoph. Christoph. <laughs> I just picked a generic name. No, Hans is the bad guy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Hans is the- I forgot his name. Yeah. Uh, well, Anna and Hans, like, they're not like. Christoph. Anna and, and Christoph, they're not together at the end of the movie, but they're clearly, like, you know, at the beginning of a relationship. Yeah. Right? Well, they're. And t- there isn't that kind of. I think they're explicitly together. He's, like, right- Well, like, they're. But, like, they're not, like, you know, married and, like,. In love forever or whatever, right? Right. Like, they're it's clearly like, at the beginning like, of what... Oh, let's date. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you yep. know, you, what was funny, too, is that they bickered, but it wasn't like the obvious, oh, they know each other, they must be in love. It was like you could see why they excite each other. Song. Yeah. Besides the stupid... Oh, my God. Don't get me started on the horrors of that. But he wasn't really... He wasn't a fixer-upper. He was, like, a little bit of a loner, but then she's, like, a completely isolated, sheltered princess. Like, they both kind of had, you know, different angles, and you could see the way that they, like, inspired each other. And, yeah, that that was a 90-minute movie. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, I think, yeah, what you were saying movie, about... I really could have used some revisions, and even it got better yeah. than a fucking prequel. It's, it's okay. fine to end a movie on a trajectory, or a TV show on a trajectory for a relationship. I mean... As you were saying earlier, like that's, that's basically what Korasami is. But that's kind of that's only true if you don't make the romance kind of the central right. motif of the story. If you're writing like a romance story, I don't think we right. Then can you just end it on a trajectory? I think so. Yes, I think that's romantic. I do. Yeah. 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 And then you can write f- fic to follow through. <laughs> I was so elated and emotional and like optimistic with 
implied Korasami because let's be honest, it was just implied, like technically, technically, if you're going to go there. And it was definitely that they're at the start of it. And like, it wasn't just me. It was the fandom experience. There's just this explosion of thick and enthusiasm and love pouring out for it. I feel like it put, yeah. And it puts a lot of trust in your readers because you're trusting them to fill in, to fill in the rest of the story. And and in a sense, you're freeing them to kind of take the story wherever they want to go. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I do very well with implication, though. I don't really need yep. things explicated. So I understand that not everyone has that view. It's just when I say how to write a romance, I think my best advice is just don't write a fucking romance. Write characters. <laughs> write character arcs. Mm-hmm. And we're, I think all three of us are kind of that way. So, yeah, what works for us is going to be like, just give us some really interesting characters and we can kind of fill in and you know, Everything what, you know else. what I think it is too is plan out their arcs and talk about how like try and work out how does love actually fit into this because mm. you know I'm actually working on a little bit of a slow burn right now but hmm. I'm trying to show like what both characters bring to the table and what they both learn and why they both end up in this place right Cause... you talking about your current San Diego fanfic no yes I love it I it's love amazing. it too I just don't have enough time these days because there's three cats and a baby and things yeah. Your TV show, your sitcom. Speaking of not having time, we're going to (laughs) transition into talking about pacing on Game of Thrones versus the prequel trilogy. (laughs) I could. I mean, I'd like to. I may I? We mean? I mean, may we? Wait, what? It was hard because, like, really, the problem of the romance of Anakin Padme is the pacing. So yeah, yep. I mean, pacing is kind of like an ineffable, con- ineffable concept. Like, it's one of the. It, it's it's kind of like editing. Like, you only really notice it when it's really, really bad. Yep, I agree. Possibly really, really good, but like, you know, it's not something you usually notice because if something is well paced, it's just it just flows. It's good. Like, right. You don't have to think about it. On that it. note, let's just quickly say this segment is our fun segment, where we're going yes. to be talking about that ineffable concept in the context of Game of Thrones, considered a good TV show, and it's not, versus <laughs> the Star Wars prequels, mostly considered bad movies, despite like a little bit of a renaissance. Don't worry, Game of Thrones will be considered bad in a couple of years. And this is like our fifth or sixth I segment hope. on it, whatever <sighs> it is. We've talked about character arcs, we've talked about uh, logical coherence and romance, so pacing. Eight. This is segment eight segment eight as we normally do let us start with the prequel trilogy so i thought it was excellently placed and i have absolutely no problems with any of it that i call lies (laughs) i think my favorite thing is like the big point of this was supposed to be like anakin and obi-wan's relationship but every time they would have been in a situation to develop it there's just a time jump and then they'd be like remember that time (laughs) well we already kind of touched on like what I think the biggest problem is the fact that Phantom Menace exists. Yeah, it wasn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, what was the what was the point of, of Phantom Menace in terms of the trilogy? What did it achieve? We we learned that this nine year old child is the chosen one, and he has a high midi chlorine count. If the prequel trilogy had been about Obi Wan. It would have been the first chapter introducing him as a young idealistic knight and the death of his mentor, right? But then the focus was never on him. I think it was was just George Lucas being like, oh, what was Darth Vader like as a little kid? Right? Like, it it felt... George Lucas' impression is kind of good. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's more like, like oh, what was he like as a little kid? He's more like, what was he like as a little kid? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, man. But no, I think you're right. I think they just, he wanted a movie with him as a child. And yeah, so. Because he liked he the poster it. of the 10 year old casting the shadow, and the shadow looked like Darth Vader. That was a cool poster. That was like by far the really coolest cool. thing about Phantom Menace. I was yeah. so hyped for it. That was a really cool poster. As a 10 year old myself, I was incredibly hype. Right. I mean, like, the Phantom Menace, like, if we accept that it exists. <laughs> I don't see why I have to do that. um i mean the only like major flaw like yeah it's like you could have cut 10 minutes Mm -hmm. of pod racing and it would have been 
Well, actually, the, the best part is that, that half of the half of the stuff on the cutting room floor is more pod racing shit. You know, oh my God. there was this entire sh- subplot with one of the drivers and his like widows. Oh my God. <laughs> I actually so weird. In terms of pacing, the worst part of pacing in Phantom Menace isn't even that. It's the end sequence when you're going from like this emotionally charged duel of the fates to like Jar Jar stepping in poop to like Anakin yeah. figuring out a space battle, and it's cutting yeah. back and just like there's a tonal clash, but it's so fast yeah what what am i supposed to feel right now which is actually something that someone tried to explain to george lucas after watching it and he was like "Mm, but they're they're all intertwined (laughs) okay yeah i mean they're not intertwined in the way that the empire strikes back is like a perfect intertwining of storylines even though, let, if we can talk about pacing, how much time passed for Luke respective to uh, okay. Anna Maya? No, but the, just the fact that, like, like nobody, like, notices that on the first viewing right. means that it's well-paced. It was even well-paced. though, like, that's a glaring, like, giant error that's kind of unforgivable. <laughs> All right. Attack of the Clones. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um... Again, third, I mean, we'll probably get to this in our, whenever our segment where we talk about, um, action se- sequences, but once again, like, holy lightsaber battles, Batman, Batman, like, you could have cut, again, like, half an hour's worth of, I feel like, it felt like. What, what about the entire sequence of Anakin and Padme running through, like, a factory? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or the, like, the giant, like, they're fighting in that pit. Isn't that yeah, in Attack of the Clones? The arena. Yeah, the arena is like they're fighting like big why? monsters. <laughs> why do we need? I mean, yeah, and they're and so poor. like part of it is it they're so choreographed. Well, like that's my favorite thing about Arl Knotts, like parody yeah, of it is battles. that they yeah they make them into dance battles because it's basically what they are. <laughs> <laughs> and poor poor Christopher Lee, like this mm. really respected thespian, having to do this lightsaber battle for like a half an hour. He's not in physical shape for this. Like, oh, and yet we're so supposed bad. to believe that he keeps up with Anakin and Obi Wan. Yeah. yeah, they're getting winded. I will. We'll talk about. We'll talk about this in the action sequence but yeah. like the whole Yoda thing let's okay. not talk about it now it's, just, yeah. it's, right. it's a rabbit hole and then Revenge of the Sith was all um it's people walking in a hallway right no but like Anakin's okay, fall so is the so entire rushed. point yeah the entire point of the trilogy is supposed to be this fall but like the whole first movie like, doesn't deal with it and I guess like there's the build up where like Padme's pregnant and he gets that dream and he's talking he's talking to Palpatine about it but it's still like it, it like comes out of no like the whole thing of like Palpatine turning into the Emperor. It oh just happens so suddenly, and then all of a sudden, like Anakin's on his knees, and he's just like, "Your name is Darth Vader. Now go kill all the younglings." And so the worst part: where did he even get the name Vader? He didn't even explain it. He just said, no. "Well, Vader is like Germanic for father, okay. and it's like a super, yeah." But did Palpatine ever say that? Was he ever like, "I'm naming you Vader because it is Germanic for father"? Like, and someday you will have a son, and this will be the like big like plot twist is that you're the son of you're the father of the hero well he read the script but like palpatine's superpower is that he's read the script for the trilogy that comes after this i mean palpatine does always say that everything is going according to his to what he's foreseen so maybe he did but what drives me crazy is that like revenge of the sith is until the like boom order 666 or whatever order order 66 so yeah Sorry, because uh, it was so subtle too with that. But like, because that, it's just literally like people walking down hallways and talking. That's yep. it. That's I know. There's the action sequence at the beginning with Grievous. Which mm. what was Grievous? Yeah, I mean, like there was just so much dependence on the extra film material. I guess like it makes sense if you're into the whole like extended like prequel canon. Right. But why should you be? Right. Like, Reten- uh, Revenge of the Sith makes more sense if you've seen like the clone wars but you shouldn't yeah, but that was all that was all after the fact right too, like right? and you sh- even if it had been before the fact you like, shouldn't clone have wars to- was kind of a desperate attempt to make revenge of the sith make sense right right but even like even if the clone wars has ex- had existed prior to it you shouldn't have to watch the clone wars to make sense of the movie no like not that's at all. one of my biggest frustrations with even s- bits of the sequel trilogy now um is that you shouldn't have to engage with the extended material in order to make sense of what's happening on screen. Yeah, I like, agree with that. 
casual fans should be able to watch the films and understand what is going on. And they just, there's, like, that makes the pacing of, like, Anakin's fall makes zero sense. Just like, oh, suddenly he's, suddenly he's super angry. Not even Ahsoka Nope. Even the Jedi Order can fix that. Just now. No. All right. Well, speaking of unfixable, let's talk about pacing on Game of Thrones. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Julia and I are really fond of talking about this, actually, because the past two seasons has been probably some of the most extraneous screen time just yeah. burned. And we're talking in like they've been having fifty minute episodes. And in those fifty minute episodes, there will still be like two minutes of Ramsey slowly futzing with a chain. Or like, how long did it take Arya to get inside of um, Winterfell, Winterfell? or to like minutes? argue that she should be allowed in only to sneak in anyway? It's like three or f- three to five minutes of screen yeah. time. But like, even even when you have those like extended like seventy minute long episodes, the same thing happens. Mm-hmm. So like, but I don't then, know. I think, and then all of a it's sudden, like their style. <laughs> all of a sudden, Jamie has taken an army. He's gotten a blowjob, then takes an army and goes to Casterly Rock, and then goes to High Carden, and then runs halfway back in the end of, like, in the last ten minutes of an episode. Yeah, and you're like, what? You were just sitting in a room talking about your, you know, how the maid shouldn't be seeing you and Cersei together. <laughs> like. What is happening? And it's funny because they're always talking like, oh, these seasons are just nonstop action. Just go, go, go. That's what Amelia Clark said about season six. And that was the one <coughs> they were like unnecessarily establishing shots. Like, remember it just like zoomed in on Leanna Mormont futzing with raven cages for 10 minutes in case we didn't know that like, a raven was going to send mail? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, and, and I know 10 seconds doesn't sound like a lot, but like, yeah, it is a lot. It, it's a mm-hmm. lot when you're just sitting there or like um i think my favorite one was sansa receives a letter goes like hmm writes a letter mails the letter and then the next scene is her talking to littlefinger at molestown as if we couldn't have just opened with her talking to him at molestown being like i got your letter like, right like we could have assumed that she sent him a letter if we weren't going to get any anything of the content of the letter mm-hmm. why but at the same us? time there's like all of these things that they really should show us, like, you know, yep. Carol planning to blow up a major landmark, for example. Like, they should show oh us something God. of that process, maybe? Yeah, because, like, everything just happens off screen all yeah. of a sudden. Like, you know, there's slow, methodical pacing. And then the next thing you know, Arya's just at the Riverlands. She's killed two Freys off screen and ground them up mm. in baked pies. <laughs> you're like, what? How? Yep. So, yeah, yeah, it makes I, no sense why they choose to include what they do and, or, and why like, they choose to not include. Or the uh, Sansa, Arya, and Bran coming together to bring down Littlefinger at the end of season seven wasn't shown to us at all. That was all off screen, all in between the last two episodes. Is that a pacing problem, though? I think so, because they spent the other time showing, like, Arya recounting a story that didn't matter to Sansa and threatening her like in these but long it, it, drawn out to develop the character Kylie oh my god this is a character driven show <laughs> and then and then what's funny is like even the big action set pieces are just like so contrived like Battle of the Bastards is my favorite because all of a sudden John was just like we fight with the army we have and you're like what? we have to go right now now like, why <laughs> why right now and there might be snow in the extended forecast like yeah. maybe that's honestly the reason it's like oh we have a much smaller force but it doesn't matter we fight with the army we have there's no time what so then all of a sudden we're just thrown into this battle and it's like okay i guess this is action paced but like why so I, I don't know it's just it's like shitty planning really because it's on one hand you've got people like picking at threads on their shirt Seriously, that was something that they had Cersei do uh, at the beginning. Because she was traumatized, kind of. (laughs) We have 20 seconds of her picking at the threads on her shirt. And then, you know, there's also these wormholes that are just teleporting characters around. It's like, which maybe that's two different issues. I don't know. Am I conflating it? I think it creates, I think those like poor planning and writing issues create pacing issues. Yeah. Because then you're, you're spending prolonged periods of time where nothing happens and then, like the action, like the action stuff happens so quickly, it creates a kind of whiplash because you go from just like sitting and like watching people stare at each other to like, wait, how did you get there? But what? 
when did that and what 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 how like it's yeah i think the problem the problem is a planning problem because they always have like the thing that has to happen in the penultimate episode and they're like we have to get to that point but we can't get there too quickly because it has to be the penultimate episode right or like they have 50 minutes to burn yeah but they also have to have like each episode kind of be a unit on its own right and just so then they have like you know the white hunt mention we have 20 minutes of just people in pairs talking about things that aren't particularly interesting or relevant it's usually just like a joke about ptsd honestly and or penises. Di- yeah i was gonna say or, <laughs> i thought you were gonna say penises but you started with ptsd <laughs> well that's, that's also a thing. I mean, really. you know it's dudes are always talking about penises and then all of a sudden you have a white polar bear oh <laughs> okay, okay. Sa- go 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 same thing with the finale where the freaking pit scene where the dragon pit scene where they're doing this meeting like we had to walk to the dragon pit scene before we walked to the dragon pit scene. We had to have a scene of Bron and, you know, Jamie looking at people coming to the dragon pit scene while he made penis jokes. But <laughs> <laughs> well, what it, what it sounds to me like the more you're talking, what it, what it almost sounds like is, is a lack of understanding that like good pacing isn't, um, sudden action that like right. what makes good pacing really is a kind of crescendo where like yeah like it might start slow but it builds up to the point where then you have things happening really quickly just going from nothing to lots of things happening back to nothing to lots of things happening isn't actually Mm -hmm. good pacing and i i feel like the really slow sequences to try to like give this show this illusion of grandeur yeah where it's like like, you know, this is 2001 A Space Odyssey because we were watching Tyrion walk across the dragon pit. <laughs> right, right. Or because, um, you know, the beginning sequence before Carol blows everything up, we, we have a shot of people getting dressed slowly and methodically. So it's significant, but why? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I think you're definitely right, too, that it's just like a misunderstanding of what pacing is. And it's just such a joke because all the marketing is like, there's never a dull moment. It's like, no, there's many dull moments. I would say it's at least 75% dull moments. <laughs> and that's including penultimate episodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You know, all things considered, though, I still think the prequel trilogies actually have worse pacing. <laughs> Maybe it's just yeah, that, the, I mean, yeah, they have worse, maybe they just, I don't know. I think it was the time Well, like, jumps. the thing, like, you can tell about both of these things is that there's no drafts involved here. <laughs> right. Because, right. like, they're just like, oh, I gotta get this thing written. Yeah. Like, we're on a schedule, I gotta get it written. Which is just, like, you know, a reality of, like, the way that film and television is made. Like, you have deadlines. But, like, I don't know, just, it's, I, I guess that's not an excuse. Like, you can't make it obvious. Right. And, like, if you were there for, like, you know, a few months, like, in the writer's room with, like, you know, post-it notes that you could move around to make everything, like, you know, perfectly aligned and, like, make sure everything is nice and balanced at the timeline and the pacing. And, like, that's hard work. I think what it comes down to, too, is just justifying, like, I totally get planning action sequences first and being like, we need to get to this set piece. But then, like, I'm thinking just about writing it, like, fic. I would cut a chapter if I felt like I didn't need a chapter to get there. Maybe right. the shows in the visual form, they don't really have that luxury. So then you get, mm-hmm. you know, 10 minutes of people sitting on a couch talking how they're in love because of love. <laughs> and it's like... Right. It's the force. I, I think that yes. might be part of it. But yeah, you're right. Like, I'm sorry. They, mm-hmm. These are professional writers. You should be able to figure out how to write toward the time that you have... Or, like, this so. is why, if you can't figure it out, this is why you employ editors. Yeah. There's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, because the reason that, like, Empire Strikes Back was such a, like, tight, perfectly paced, like, narrative is because it had Marsha. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to edit the thing, that you really know, you was. have someone whose job it is to look at it and be like, okay, good ideas here's how we tighten things up and make it flow really well. Actually, Lucas's wife was the one who suggested to um, the pacing at the end of A New Hope because originally Lucas had, like, I think Darth Vader got knocked away really early and then it was, like, 20 minutes of just getting oh. to the pole. And she's like, Remember well, like George Lucas used to listen to other people? not do this. Right. Well, 
What's oh, his man. wife? Marsha yeah. Lucas. Didn't they get divorced and then yep. he yep. made Indiana Jones 2? <laughs> yep. I think also that she was not involved in Return of the Jedi. Fairly certain. I would, like, bet yeah. money on that. That she was not involved in that. Not or at least heavily. only minimally involved in that. Yeah. Oh, Marsha, Marsha. All right, we've got no transition here, but we're long on this segment, so we're going to get into our final one about MBTI and character alignments. I I don't. Typing characters. I can't get there. So that's that's what we're going to talk about. Coming up. There's no time. If we went down to Castle Kerman, I know that Lord. Can we fight with the army we have? So, guys, if you have been around fandom space at all you will have probably noticed a few things uh like four arbitrary letters mashed together when people are talking about characters and alignment charts from dungeons and dragons about lawful good and neutral evil and also colors that they're putting people in like green and silver versus red and gold and you might be Slytherin versus Gryffindor. Hey, what's this all about? So this is just like different methods to type characters, and you can type yourself too. I don't want to say it's just for characters, um, but it's it's basically the most popular ones, at least that we've seen. The three most popular are Harry Potter house sortings, Myers Briggs personality test, and the Dungeons and Dragons character alignment. Yep. Um, there's other ones too. There's like enneagrams or political alignments. There's the whole uh, goth prep jock nerd Venn diagram thing or the four quadrant chart things. You know what? You know there what are so many about. of those like four quadrant like oh my God, things. I know. I know. But um, I just want to like quickly a background. I'm sure everyone knows the Harry Potter houses where it's very loosely courage intellect friendliness or ambition you want me to sing the sorting hat song <laughs> what what are the what's the thing that they have on like tumblr it's like you're 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 brave you're ambitious you're smart and then you're miscellaneous <laughs> hard working they're hard working more or less right they're miscellaneous it's miscellaneous come on and yeah, so I'll take the lot and treat them just the same, I think is a quote from canon. Yeah. Oh, please just read Harry Potter. The whole point yeah, was that I it know. doesn't matter. Right. And for, like, in everybody's defense, J.K. Rowling has totally embraced this bullshit. So, oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. totally Ravenclaw, so. Yeah. Caca, mm. motherfuckers. Um, Myers-Briggs is a rather popular, it's like a personality test, and I think it was developed, like, it, it's used, it's utilization mostly. There's companies that will employ it so that they that's can... sketch i'm sorry i know i know how is but... that legal I, know. <laughs> I don't know but it very loosely um tells you your personality there's 16 personalities in the world and it's based on these like uh diametric concepts so it's like introverted versus extroverted intuition versus sensing it's just how you take in information basically uh thinking versus feeling and uh perceiving versus judging and you can get really into this because it's not so much a straight just like i am an introvert who is intuitive so therefore it's it's like how these interact with each other there's like no. sub functions and it's totally and- a bastard and it's totally a bastardization of something that's actually used in psychology which is young's cognitive functions but most most people who use myers-briggs typology don't know anything about that so i i just yeah. get grumpy about it but so we're just talking <laughs> about myers-briggs you can ignore yeah. Carl Jung. You, you like can everyone get into does. And, and like, it's not, there's no like controlled, peer evaluated papers on this that are particularly legitimate. No. Um, if you take the test three times, there is an 80% chance you will get a different type. So it's not exactly the most accurate thing because it's like also based on self perception and mood and so many things, phrasing of questions. Like, right. I was mistyped for a really, really long time as an ENFJ just because I was in a more social setting when I was taking these. So it's like, it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's arbitrary, but it's more just like you have it and it's a grain of salt kind of thing. Yeah. I think like, I can't say everything, but especially like Myers-Briggs, like it's, it's more useful, I think, like as like a self evaluation exercise than it is is like when you're talking about real people like when we're talking about fictional characters it's completely different but mm-hmm. it's it's more useful as that just like 
how how like you know you think about yourself like you get your answer like how do i feel about that is kind of more important than anything else right i I found it useful a little bit with like talking to people like oh i understand that you're more like you take in more information through like what's physically right in front of you like i find it a useful lens sometimes to just highlight a difference but it's that's kind of the extent of it yeah Um, right but like it is like you were saying like dealing with literary characters or fictional characters Mm -hmm. it actually can be a really interesting way to do like character but like either character building if you're a writer or like trying to understand what authors may be trying to do with a particular character what why they make the choices they do like it can be a really interesting like way to talk about characters and choices and um things like that i really love it for writing yeah yeah just especially when like there's a character who's like unlike you yep (laughs) you're just like how would this character act don't really know <laughs> let's look at this chart <laughs> yeah and it's fine because like there's a bunch of write-ups some of them are better than others but you yeah. can usually find just like strengths and weaknesses and fast things to give you an idea how people act in relationships and that can just give you a very like fast like oh okay this is what makes them tick a little bit or when they're stressed this is what they might do and it's not like nothing is hard and fast no. but it does make you think about like how does my character perceive the world and like mm-hmm. take in that information and react and that's like a good lens to think about with characters it makes them rounder so we know why we like it or why we <laughs> might use it and engage with it in media why do we think it's so popular in fandom because i i don't <sighs> think that everyone is categorization right yep because most people easy. that I see are not using it in the way that, like, we prefer to engage with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the same impulse that, like, is there when people are just like, I have to figure out exactly what my sexual or my gender identity is. Yep. I have to have a term for it. And <laughs> it's a box that I will be in forever. I'm going to say something that's so yeah. condescending right now. Okay. But I think a lot of it's age. I'm serious. Mm, Uh, A lot of fandom is, like, you know, on the younger side, and that's absolutely fine. I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm 28 and interacting with, like, (laughs) 14-year-olds. And and I think that's something that you have to be cognizant of. Um, But, you know, it's like what you were saying, finding that box. You're really grasping for what your identity is, and I'm still grasping for it. We all are. I mean, like, you know, if you have, like, a favorite character... Yeah. You know, like, Luna Lovegood's a Ravenclaw, and so am I! Yeah, <laughs> totally. it feels very validating yeah. to your experience. Mm-hmm. That can be especially, like, as you're still going through stuff, it's kind of chaotic yeah. to figure it all out. It's I mean, like a like, diagnosis. Yeah, I didn't really settle into who I was until, like, I don't know, 26, 27, maybe? Like, honestly. Oh, well, you're lucky. I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, settle in as much as I'm comfortable enough using that term. But yeah. I just mean, like, you know, college, I was still like, what, what, what is going on? Like, kind of just flailing and all that. And uh, I don't mean this to demean. I just think it can be very validating when you read, like, something saying, oh, you have a tendency to do this. And you're like, I do have a tendency to do this. And this character has a tendency to do this. Right. Well, what I think is interesting um, is that in a lot of ways, these kinds of categorization systems function a lot like um archetypes it's just a new it's just a new kind of archetype like instead of archetyping based on like the crone or you know the wise wizard or the mentor or um this yeah going into (laughs) well i mean that's kind of what there's a lot of that going on in a song of ice and fire as well but like it's just like your archetype is now um I mean, we do this too. I mean, we have the dutiful princess. Like the dutiful princess is an archetype for us. Right. And like dutiful princess is like very loosely, I'm going to be honest, a dutiful princess is an INTP. Yeah. Like mystery blown up guys. Like loosely, loosely, loosely. I'm not saying every single person we said is a dutiful princess is that, but that's like the INTP probably encompasses the most dutiful princess-ish qualities. Right. And when I wrote Suffering Empath. Right. When I wrote my Suffering Empath piece, it was like, oh, these are the characters that I perceive, like, like I perceive of as being like literary INFJ characters. Yeah. Is the equivalent of that. Like Sansa Stark. Like Sansa Stark. (laughs) And Sapphire and Asami. Yeah. Right. And Nicole Hot and Waverly Earp. And basically, just go read that piece. Um, I've heard of, I have a whole piece on them. Uh, uh, Julia and Kylie have several on the Dutiful Princess. Um, 
So, Which is but not like at all just about Julia. Um, but like that's the thing. Like these are just archetypes, and they're mm. either as specific as like a Myers Briggs typology or a character alignment, or as broad as a Harry Potter house. But a Harry Potter house, like that's that's just a character archetype. In the same way that like we have like folklore has character archetypes, it's just this is these are modern archetypes that we use. Um, and what's interesting yeah, I think to like me the is Harry that Potter houses in particular have this kind of like striving aspect that right. a lot of these others don't. Right. Like you're supposed to be striving to be like a Gryffindor, striving right. to be I, a Hufflepuff. I also don't think we can understate the role that um, fan fiction plays in Harry Potter typing because like mm. that's still the most popular AU, right? Um, and I what's think it's the most just popular AU for like other Harry stories Potter. to have a Harry Potter AU. Yeah. And I think oh, it's just because, it? oh, absolutely. Yep. And I think it, it's just because that like school like format and student that comes to structured format is really, really like instantly accessible. Right. Yeah. Right. But I think like what, I mean, when he, what I was trying to get at with, with that comment about these being character archetypes is I, I think like, yeah, there is like a function of age involved, but I think there is also just a function of we as human beings, uh, like approach the world in archetypes. Like, whether we acknowledge them as archetypes or not, like, archetypes and symbolic language are a significant part of the way that human beings understand themselves and the world. And, like, that's just – that's going to be true no matter – you know, I think that's going to be true of human beings no matter what those archetypes are. These just happen to be Mm -hmm. modern archetypes that gained popularity, you know – I think because, like, Harry Potter, I think you're right. Like, there's a striving aspect to it. Like, it's both broad and specific at the same time. So like you can... Horoscope. Yeah. Like, so you can very neatly, like, fit people in there, but, like, there's horoscopes. freedom within there. We like got horoscopes, yeah. Oh, yeah, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, horoscopes. Yeah, but are horoscopes are completely different because, like, uh, that's, like, based on, like, when you were born, right? And that's yeah, kind but of if you don't know you. it for a character, you'll be like, oh, I bet they're a Sag. Right. Yeah, that's true. I don't right, think like, and like I never, I, I never difference. align with whatever I'm supposed. Like I'm supposed to be a Capricorn, but like Capricorn isn't actually anything like me. So <laughs> I'm a moody fish. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> I'm indecisive. <laughs> so that goes pretty well. Um, yeah. um, but I think like like this is going back to the difference between like using this on real people and using this right. on characters. Like for yes. characters, it's it's a useful shortcut. It's a useful like, yes. way to kind of conceptualize like you know and analyze a character. Mm-hmm. But when you do it with real people, like real people are more complex than that. Yes. And like trying trying to essentialize a person like yourself, another person like that is just it's not going to give you the results that you want, I don't think. Gretchen's right that humans categorize and mm-hmm. group identity has a political usage. Myers-Briggs doesn't have a political usage, but most group categories have a political usage. However, Harry Potter definitely. It also allows for the miscategorization of group members as a whole because it becomes this collective that's no one's one experience is going to be the same. Gretchen and I are both INFJs and we have differences. Yeah, right. Like an ethnic stereotype is kind of the same kind of yeah, 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 one hundred percent. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, and this doesn't mean that, like, you know, it's based on nothing. I think stereotypes are usually based on something, you know. Right, but that doesn't make them entirely accurate. Yeah, and that's kind of exactly. what you were saying about... It doesn't about... make them usefully accurate. Right. It, like, it does, it can't, you can't predict, like, you know, the behavior of an individual person or a particular ethnic group based on an ethnic no, stereotype, even if, not. like, there's some truth to the stereotype. <laughs> right, but just like you were saying, like, that's the problem of taking something that works well, like, that's the problem of translating something from, like, a work of art to human beings, is because, mm-hmm. like, works of art, like, it's much easier to categorize a work of art because a work of art is finite and those characters yeah. are finite and they're not, and they're not going is, to change. Made with intention. Right. Right. Whereas human beings, if you start trying to peg them, like, very strictly into these categories, like, it's not ever going to be helpful for, like, engagement with them or build strong relationships that it's, way it's also stakes if you misunderstand a character i promise you the right. character won't be offended yeah but <laughs> if you misunderstand a human you know that's kind of shitty yeah. right but like if you're like if you're really identifying with a character and you're just like oh sans is an infj just like me but then like someone tells you no sans is not an infj sans is a z four three seven or whatever <laughs> like 
if you're the wrong frame of mind, you can take that like really personally and find that extremely unvalidating I and like do how get very ruin mad. your relationship with the character. Honestly, right. I do get mad when people mistype Sansa, <laughs> but that's just because they clearly overstate C when C is obviously just her auxiliary function because that's how she you know interacts with other people. Duh. Of course, S. You mean C? I mean like C S E. Oh, okay. S-E. Oh, C. Yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah, Inter- introverted sensing. Yep, extroverted something answer. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Anyone who That's calls sense an extrovert is is not. Yeah, no. Extroverted okay. something is her auxiliary function. Her primary say. function is introverted intuition. Yeah, well, obviously. I yep. don't know these things. It's I. I don't know what I'm saying. No, it is. It, it is. Like, yeah. Okay, you can, we can argue about many things in life, but sense of being introverted is not one of them. No, she she is introverted, and she is one of the most intuitive characters on page. Which means, how can she leave with C? She can't? Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Man, sorry guys. I look forward sorry, to your guys, letters. I was just doing a geometric <laughs> proof of INFJs. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I have, fo- I have found this, I mean, just to get back to what you're saying, I have found this a very useful tool in my own writing. Um, yeah. yeah, especially when, like, one of my one of my characters for my novel is uh, more on the sensing side, and I don't understand that yep. at all. Like, yep. I just don't. So yep. I was like, how how does she do the things? I don't really know how she does the things. I can write E and P's and T's pretty easily. I have a lot. Some of my best friends are E's, but um, yeah. When it comes to an S, I'm just like, what language are you speaking? Because I yep. don't recognize it. Isn't your sister an S? No, ENFP. I don't know. Though actually that makes sense because um, intuition and sensing are primarily about um, forms of communication. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense that N's and Ah. S's have a hard time understanding each other because they communicate um, and conceptualize the world in completely different ways. If you guys can't tell, Gretchen and I are like a lot more into the subfunction <laughs> I think Julia's like secretly more into Myers Briggs than she lets on, but um like She'll say that she type... thinks it's stupid. I no, she got so excited when I typed her her uh wedding and sunspear characters and there's like one of everything. She's like, Oh my god. I did, did you... do it on purpose. It's do wonderful. you really have one of everything? Yeah. Oh yeah, my I gosh, that's amazing. I'll send it to you. I love, yes, please do. That's amazing. I mean, what, some of them are like very minor characters. But, but still. Uh, yeah. And yeah, Laurie and uh, Roger are the same. Oh, gee. Are you shocked? I- oh, ten bucks if you can guess what they are. <laughs> they anyway. may or may not be dutiful princesses. We just wanted to talk about uh, these in general, just because they're so prevalent in fandom, and not like in a bad way. I don't mean that no. in a bad way at all. Well, sometimes um, in a bad way, but not necessarily. And yep. like, you know, even the whole like, oh, I have to fit in a box thing. I don't mean that to be demeaning, because I am going to make buy an FJ shirts, and I will wear the hell out of it. So like, boom, yep. I'm, I'm sometimes I wear like one of the those. box. Ninety don't get shirts. It's fine. I'm just saying. I think the reason it's so championed is because when people feel. Like, here is why I identify, and it's this very solid reason. Right, like, it, yeah, it's of... a, yeah, it's a way to, in some sense, like, ground your identification with a particular character. Right. Saying, like, oh, they're just like me, because we are both X. Yes, exactly. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, Or seeing no. yourself in media. That's, I mean, yeah, that's part, that's part of why representation is so important. Um, because, like, we, the way we understand ourselves and other people has so much to do with like who we identify with, who we see ourselves as, and, and that being comes able to see ourselves to, yep. to a canonically bisexual Rosa Diaz. Yeah, exactly. boom, <laughs> boom! What a solid episode. So tight. We definitely planned all of that. All right, so we have to get hey, out we of have here, notes. guys. <laughs> we do have notes. Much actually. better notes than usual. <laughs> this was very well outlined, and it was definitely better than the notes I had for the live show that very were good. like, Kuvira, what's up with her? Um, Where we literally just had eyebrow game and she's totally having sex with, with <laughs> Suyin. I mean, was I wrong? No, you're anyway, not wrong. If you guys like this podcast, please share this one with your friends because it was so cohesive. Um, and you can also maybe like 
uh, review us or rate us on iTunes or whatever app you're listening to us through, because that is how we get discovered. You should also check out the fundamentals.com for that exciting merch we have. I've been promising buy an FJ shirts for a while. I promise it's like in the pipeline. I'm just incredibly busy lately. Uh, but definitely check out all the new stuff. The Steven Universe buttons and stickers are rad. I'm so excited. I want to get one for my computer. Uh, I'm super probably. duper proud of those probably farmer girlfriend or something like that yeah. um there's also <laughs> my favorite is there's angry dorito for peridot but our editor-in-chief for some reason can't remember this and she keeps calling it an angry burrito <laughs> so <laughs> i'm almost tempted to just design angry burrito shirts and it's just like a frowning burrito like oh, i'm sad with the world well now uh, if you explain the joke more people will get it but otherwise it would have been a joke exactly industry by exactly like five people i think it's i think it's a kind of shirt that's like you would just wear and be like why do you have a shirt that says angry burrito oh because the podcast like four people listen to like it so exactly right that's gonna be my new name instead of like um like if i if something happens that i'm upset about i'll just say like i'm an angry burrito today (laughs) (laughs) it's or like if you're in a sleeping bag and someone rolls you up in it then you'd be an angry burrito right oh my gosh Yes. Oh, this this design needs to. Oh, you know what we should or do? Or when we when should... Marge was talking to Littlefinger that one time in her burrito dress, she was okay. an angry burrito. Okay, no, but but like what I'm envisioning is like someone wearing a. Okay, so like someone wearing a hoodie, like wrapped up in a blanket, and they have the hoodie strings pulled super tight, and all you can see is their tiny little like angry eyes, and it's like <laughs> I am an angry burrito. <laughs> So when you pull the string super tight, you don't see the person's eyes. You see, like, their nose, upper lip area. Gotcha. But, like, tight enough Concept. that you just see their eyes and nose. No, think bigger. It's Peridot <laughs> rolled up into a sleeping bag, and she's an angry burrito. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. I thought she was an angry piece of What was pie. I saying? Right, how well-structured we are. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. There's just, there's just no, there's no, there's, way. yeah, there's no way to transition from. I think uh, that Danny is a Slytherin. <laughs> I'm totally just talking out of my ass. I don't know. I think all targs are Slytherins. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that.